0: We've been in a series for the last few weeks called Come to the Table. And that series has really allowed us over the last few weeks to uh, take communion and to participate in this invitation to come to the table that Jesus Christ kind of sat at with his closest followers and, and took the bread and broke it and took the cup and drank it. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And it represented something much larger than just that one meal, right? It represented something much bigger than that. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about the different elements, the different aspects. I told you early on that we really kind of helped provide the framework for this series from a book by Henry Nowen called Life of the Beloved. And if you haven't had a chance to read that, it's a really great book. I encourage you. It's a short read. You'll read it very quickly. But it's great content and really speaks to the heart of, of people, and so that we've used that as the framework. But one of the things that and talked about is that there were four aspects to how Christ really kind of engaged those that were sitting at the table and the elements of communion. It says that he, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And so over the last three weeks, we've really been looking at that, the taking, the blessing, and the breaking. And we've looked at those aspects and how they relate to our individual lives. And today we conclude that. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip with me to Matthew chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, you have an app, a smartphone of some kind, you can flip with me there or punch with me there in that app to that space. But we're going to Matthew chapter 26 we're going to read three verses together we'll hang there because we're going to come back to that spot in just a few minutes but Matthew chapter 26 is the passage that we've been using as the text for this series primarily and so I want us to begin reading in verse 26 of Matthew chapter 26 let's read this now as they were eating Jesus took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so the last few weeks we've talked about these different aspects that he took it, he blessed it, he broke it. And today we're talking about he gave it. Now in the church, when we start talking about giving, we normally talk about Giving in the offering, right? That's what churches are known for. All we want is your money. We don't even care if you show up, just send your money. And that's kind of the stigma that's connected to churches. And that's not the way we believe. That's not the the way we operate. And hopefully, if you've been around here any length of time, you understand that. Uh, What we say when we take up the offering almost every time, and Corey laughs at me when I say this, is all we ever ask you to do is give as giving unto the Lord. What we want you to know is that when you give, we're not depending on you to give, we're depending on God. And when you give, the church will continue to operate because we believe that God is the giver of all good gifts and God is the one that provides, not just for you individually, but also for the church because we believe that the church is the Lord's. And so when you give, all we're saying is, you work out in your heart what, we, what you believe God is asking you to give. And when you do that, we believe that God's going to provide everything that the church needs to fulfill the ministry that God's called the church to do in the community and around the world. But that's really what we think about a lot of times, don't we? We think about the church and giving, and we think about the offering and passing the plate or passing the bucket or filling that out. And I even referenced a few minutes ago that we're in this campaign where we're raising money, and we've asked people to give money. And we believe, and we've said for a couple of months now, that where God guides, he provides. It's kind of been a little tag phrase for us, something that for us, we believe it kind it's directing the process that we're in. And this Make the Move campaign, where we're trying to raise $60,000, is about people buying into the fact that God is the one who is providing. We've already begun to hear stories of people who are giving to the Make the Move campaign out of money that they didn't even think they were going to have when we started talking about the building where God has provided for them financially and they've been able to provide financially to this campaign that we're in. And we believe that's all the hand of God at work in their lives and in the church because where God guides, he provides. But that's what we think about. Now, every now and then, maybe we can get out of that thinking that the church and when we talk about giving, we're not just talking about money. Maybe sometimes we do think about the church and we think about giving of ourselves, serving, Giving of our time, giving of our efforts, giving of our abilities. And we have some amazing people in our church that do that. And so sometimes maybe it's beyond the offering. and We think about giving of ourselves. But here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the most famous verse in all of the Christian faith. It's one that many of you can quote, even if you've never darkened the doors of a church. All you've had to do is watch college football over the last few years and see the eye black of some players. And this is what it says in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. God was the initial giver. I want you to think about that. The first week of this series, we talked about that he was the initial love, right? He, he loved first. It wasn't that we earned our love, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how God demonstrated his love. So he loved first, but even beyond his love, because it says that because he loved us, he gave. He was also the initial giver. He gave his only son out of his love for us. And so for us, we understand that he loved and he gave. And so what did he give? He gave Jesus. He gave Jesus to the world. And so Jesus comes as a baby. We celebrate that at Christmas. And he comes in a manger and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and he grows up and we see him at two years old in the scriptures and we see him about 12 years old in the scriptures and then we don't really see him for about 18 more years. And then around the age of 30, we see a portion of his story kind of come to life. And then over the next three years, we see him walking the earth and choosing disciples and doing miracles and teaching these incredible teachings that were astonishing to all the people that were listening. And then at the end of his life, he sits down with those closest to him at this table. And then he does what you and I just did. And what he said was, he said, this is my body and this is my blood. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. So in John three sixteen we see that God gave Jesus. And then in Matthew 26, we see that Jesus gave Jesus. Like Jesus said, hey, 12 guys that I've been kind of doing life with for the last three years, you thought that you had all of me because we've been hanging out, and we've been doing life together and doing ministry together. You thought you had all of me, but guess what? Now here's me. I wanna give you me. And so he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it. And he says, I'm giving this to you for your benefit. He says, the brokenness of my body is for you. He said, the blood that is poured out, the cup that you're gonna drink, it's for the forgiveness of sin. It is for you. He is demonstrating in a tangible way that he was giving himself for their benefit. He was giving himself for their benefit. He had invited them to the table and then he had given them a gift himself. And then the unthinkable happens. I mean, if I'm reading this story, if I'm living this story, if I'm one of the disciples and we're sitting here and I have any ability to kind of recognize what he's saying and what he's doing and I'm thinking, man, you're giving your body, you're giving your blood. This is amazing, You know what Jesus does next? They get up to leave the table. Let's continue reading in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm kind of nostalgic and sentimental, and I own that. Like, if I watch Extreme Home Makeover, like, I cry when they show those kids crying, looking at their new, like, million-dollar bedroom. Like, I cry. I'm sentimental. I get that. I cannot watch other people cry. Like, Oprah's favorite things, like, when the lady's crying, she just got a new iPad. Like, I just cry. Like, I don't know why. I just cry. I'm sentimental. I'm nostalgic. I get it. I know. Like, they're telling me the past story. Like, I can watch the the, the stupidest thing on TV, but when they start telling me the backstory, like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right? I mean, like, I'm bought in at that point. It's, I I almost have to leave my wallet at home when they're telling me, like, for four dollars a day, this kid can eat for a year. I'm like, just feed them all, just here. I don't have, this check will bounce, but I'm writing it right now, a million dollars, go. Like, I'm just connected sentimentally to what's going on. I'm an emotional person. It happens, right? And I know that I'm the only one. It's just, it's the way I'm wired. But if I'm sitting at the table with Jesus, if I'm sitting there, and I mean, I don't even care where I'm sitting. I could be in the back of the room, but Jesus is pouring out his heart to us and he's saying, hey, this is my body. He's saying, listen to me. Like, this is not bread, This is me. And he's saying, listen, this is not just a cup. It's not just fruit of the vine, which you referenced. It's not just that. This is my blood. It's spilled out for you. It's broken for you. Like, you need to know what the next few days are about to, to be about. Like, you just need to know. Like, I'm thinking, Jesus, then let's just stay here. Let's lock the doors. If they can't get to you, then none of that has to happen. We spent the last three years together. I'll protect you. I feel like Peter when I read the gospels a lot of time. I'm like, no, Jesus, they will never take you. I'll cut their ear off. Like, I'm the guy, Jesus, I got you, right? I don't even know how to use a sword, but I'm gonna do it. Like, I feel like I wanna just hang right here. I don't wanna leave the table. I don't wanna leave the room because we have Jesus right here with us. And he's giving to us this very intimate talk, this very connecting, relationally kind of deep-rooted talk. And he's saying, listen, here's what it's about. And I don't know that he did it, but here's how I kind of feel when I read that. He's like, hey, guys, right here. It's me and you. Let's sing a song. Sean, lead us. Let's sing. And And then they just sing this song. They sing a hymn. And he's like, all right. Who wants to go to the Mount of Olives? Let's go. And they get up and they walk. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, Whoa, 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 where are we going? Why, why are we leaving? Let's just, let's just hang right here. This is amazing. Can you feel it? Like, it's amazing. Let's just stay right here. But I think what this demonstrates to us is that this invitation to come to the table of the Lord is not an invitation just to stay there. It's not an invitation just to come to the table and sit there forever. Because this is not the first time this has happened. Right? Jesus in Matthew 17, he takes a couple of his closest followers, Peter, James, and John, and he says, hey, let's go. I want to show you guys something. And he takes them up to the top of the mountain. And when they get up to the top of the mountain, Jesus is literally transfigured before them. His appearance completely changes, and he's bright white. Uh, his, his clothes turn to white It's amazing, and not only that, but then Moses and Elijah appear. They are not alive in that present day, okay? And so now Jesus' appearance has changed, and Moses and Elijah are standing there. And I don't know if you completely understand, or even that I do, all of the theological implications that are happening, but Moses is credited with the first part of the Old Testament, He is the law. He wrote the law, the first portion of the Old Testament. Elijah represents the prophets, the words of God not spelled out through the law, but those that are kind of the vibrant, visible words of God through those prophets to God's people as they are trying to become a nation and live among a pagan people. And so what you have is you have the embodiment of the Old Testament in Moses and Elijah standing there and you have the fulfillment of all that, the law and the prophets shining bright as a light. And these three disciples are standing there looking at all of the Bible. Like they're standing there and they're looking at it. And again, I'm just gonna play the role of Peter here. I'm thinking... Moses is the law, Elijah is the prophets, and Jesus said he didn't come to abolish all of that, but to fulfill it, and here he shines brightly among them. Like if I'm Peter, I do what Peter did. Jesus, let's never leave here. Let's just stay up here at the top of the mountain. Let me build some tents and let's just hang out right here. It can't get any better than this, Jesus. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse four. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Understatement of the century. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I think Peter's being a little bit like, kind of like, uh, listen, it doesn't matter where I sleep. I'll sleep outside, but let me make some tents for you guys. Let me make sure you guys are comfortable. Like Moses, he's dead, I think, and now alive, and I don't even know how that works, but let's make sure he's taken care of. So I'm gonna build him a tent, and Elijah, can't figure that out, Jesus, but now you're shining. I wanna make sure we contain the shine, Lord, and so I'm gonna build three tents. We'll sleep outside. Let's just never leave here, because this is good we're here, right? What, is, what happens? This voice from heaven calls out very much like the baptism experience that we read in some of the other gospel accounts and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And Moses and Elijah disappear. And Jesus' appearance turns to normal. And Jesus does what he does a few chapters later at the table. And he says, no, we're not meant to stay here Let's go down the mountain. They go down the mountain and they encounter the need for Jesus to intervene in a situation and he does a miracle and it's incredible. If they stayed on the mountain, I don't know if that miracle would have taken place. I'm not really sure how that works in the sovereignty of God. I just know that they didn't stay up there. Jesus felt like it was better for them to leave the mountaintop than for them to stay there. Jesus in Matthew 26 says, it's better for us to leave the table than for us to stay here. I don't get that. Because I love when we get together. And I love when we gather and we experience the power and the presence of God. I mean, there are some Sundays And maybe it's just me, maybe I'm close enough to feel it and it doesn't connect past row one. But there are some Sundays when I feel like Moses and Elijah and Jesus shining bright are in the room. And I'm like, let's just stay here. Let's just never leave this moment. Let's just hang out here in the presence of God. But the example that Christ himself demonstrates is that we are supposed to get up and leave the table eventually. We're supposed to walk off of the mountaintop eventually to go and do something with that experience. Not only that, because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and not only did Jesus sit at the table and break the bread after he had taken it and blessed it, and then give it away But Jesus said something that was almost unthinkable in the Gospels, because he says, listen, when I leave, there's coming for you a helper, the Holy Spirit, and it's better for you that I leave so that he can come. Now, I cannot imagine in my simple brain anything being better than actual God in the flesh walking with me. I cannot imagine if I'm listening as the disciples thinking, wait a minute, what? You say you're the son of God, I can literally touch you. You're physical flesh and bone. You are eating a meal with me. We are walking. I've watched you perform miracles. You're telling me there's something better than this? And Jesus says, yeah, that the Holy Spirit would come and be with you. And then the gospels conclude, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of those different accounts, they conclude. And the climax of that is what we'll celebrate over this week of the cross and the death and the burial and then the resurrection of Jesus. And then Jesus begins reappearing to those after he has died. And then we come to Acts chapter 1 which was written by Luke who also wrote the gospel of Luke. This is his second letter and it's called the book of Acts. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 4. And while staying with him, those that he had appeared to after that, some of those disciples, he said, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jump to verse 8, very famous verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to think about what we read in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. What did Jesus tell them to do? Stay in Jerusalem. And then what did he tell them after they received the Holy Spirit that they were to do? Be the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I honestly think Jerusalem is just imagery for the table. It's imagery for the mountaintop of transfiguration. He's saying, listen, if you'll hang here, you'll experience me. But once you experience me, there's something required of you that you do something with what you've experienced. So let's go to the mountaintop. Let's let you see Moses and Elijah. Let you recognize that I am the fulfillment of the law. And what Jesus told them at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration on their way down was amazing. He said, listen, don't even talk about this until I've died and been resurrected. Right? And then they go to the table And he says, okay, here's the bread and here's the cup. And he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He's saying there's something required of you when you take the cup and when you take the bread. Remember that, talk about it. Do it in the context of community so that people remember and realize the full sacrifice that I gave. There's something required of your time at the table. And so then he says in Acts chapter one, Go and tarry there until you get the promise of the Father. Because here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna hang out and you're gonna be together and you're gonna tarry there in that place. You're gonna be together in one accord. And the gift of the Holy Spirit's gonna come and you're gonna receive that gift. And then you are to leave that place on purpose. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was almost like he was saying, listen, there's something that I need you to do. I need you to come to the table and then I need you to leave it and go find other people to bring back here. He's like, hey, I wanna go to the mountain so you can see something and then we're gonna leave it so that you can tell people about what you've experienced hey, we're gonna to come to the table and we're gonna break bread and drink the cup together so that you can tell people what it actually means when you leave this place. We read it in Deuteronomy 6. God speaking through Moses to his people. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. He says, listen, when you, when you hear these things, it's not just for you to take in. I want you to teach your children what it means. When you're sitting in your house, I want you to talk about what it means. And when you're walking down the road, I want you to talk about what this means because there's something required of the invitation to the table. There's something that is required of you. What if your experience at the table was meant to compel you to bring more people back there with you? Some of you have had some of the most incredible experiences with God. I mean, like you have tarried in the presence of God. You've experienced the power and the might. You've experienced the miraculous. You've applied his word. You've prayed the prayers. You've seen them answered. What if your experience at the table was meant to compel you to bring more people back there with you? Because we don't live at the top of the mountain and we don't stay at the table forever. We don't just stay in Jerusalem. We're only there for a time until he says it's time to go. if Christianity is just about gathering together around the table, it will only last as long as we all live to sit there. That's why a lot of churches are dying. Because they are content to gather together, us four and no more, until there's only three. And until there's only two. And until there's only one and until there's none. That's not us. We care more about the people that we're called to reach than the people that we're trying to keep. We care about the people that God has given to us in this community and that he called us to. We as a church, not just me, we as a church, we talk about it, we live it out. You live this out, many of you, because you've experienced God and it has compelled you to go and find others who need to come to the table of the Lord. Henry Nouwen in the book that provided the framework for this series, The Life of the Beloved, says this, our greatest fulfillment lies in giving ourselves to others, Our greatest fulfillment lies in giving ourselves to others. When we give of ourselves, we are following the example of Jesus Christ and by extension, the example of the Father who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, who loved us so much that he gave the bread that represents his body just before he actually gave his life on the cross. And my question to me is, And to you is what have we given to the world in his name? I'm not asking for your money today. How have we given of ourselves? How have we followed the example of a God who loves the world so much that he gave, of a son who loves the world so much that he gave the bread that was his body before he went to the cross and gave of his life? For you and for me, what have I given so that others would come to the table? That's the question. That's the, that's the conviction. That's the hard question of my life. Have I given? Have I responded? Have I left the table? Have I left the mountain? Have I left Jerusalem because of what I've experienced to go and do something? Not to earn his love, not to earn his keep, not because he needs me to do all this, but because he's invited me to be a part of the work that he's doing in the world. We have some of the most amazing servants here in our church. We talk about it from time to time and I don't ever want it to get old or stale or you to think that I just kind of spout these words because I I mean them from the bottom of my heart. Some of the most incredible servants, some of them the entire time that we have been in existence and others who have joined at some point along the way, even in the last few weeks, to give of themselves, to create environments where people can come and experience the power and the presence of God. Some of you have come along this journey and you've experienced God and you've been here and you've, you've listened to the worship, you've heard the prayers, you've heard the sermons, you've, your kids have been in the classroom, you've attended an event, you've done something and, and people created those environments. God did the work, we believe that and we give him the credit for it but we get to be a part of that journey and we have some of the most incredible people that have done that, setting up and tearing down and serving in the most amazing ways and we're thankful for that but we don't believe that our story is ending. When we move to that new building and it doesn't require setup and teardown, and I expected an amen right there, but that's okay, that's all right. (laughs) It doesn't expect setup and teardown. There is a thought potentially, especially for some that have been serving for a long time to say, hey, they don't need me anymore. We get to that space, I'm a part of the setup team and we don't have setup, so I guess they don't need me anymore. Let me just say to you, no, that's not true. You want to know the reality? From day one at that new building, we go to two services. We need more volunteers there than we need here. We don't have to set anything up or tear it down, but we actually need more volunteers to facilitate the ministry that we believe God's calling us to there than we even do here at Sequoia High School. So don't let up. Don't think that your time is over because you have incredible things to contribute and if you haven't been serving this is not a a a sales pitch to you but let me just say to you that if the holy spirit's working on your heart and you're trying to figure out how to connect and how to contribute how to be a part of this story now's the time there's no better time than the present because it's about getting into the story responding to the things that we've experienced, so that God can do things in and through us to affect other people. What if your invitation to the table isn't even about you? What if it's God doing something in you for the sake of someone else? I mean, I'm not trying to take away from what our culture wants us to feel and believe that, man, we're the most important person in the universe. But guess what? You're not. I'm not. We are no more or less important, no more or less valuable, no more or less loved than every other person that we interact with every single day. And what if God wants them to come to the table? And He desires you to be the way that they find it. What if you're the way they get to the table? will you help us set the table for them? Will you help us bring them to the table? I believe that's what God is calling us to. Because God gave us Jesus, and Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work. The table isn't just for me and for you. Corey and I were reminiscing this past week we were talking to some, several different folks in several different conversations about my mom. My mom passed away a few years ago, but prior to her passing, she was one of the best gift givers in the world. Like, I'm not trying to just be like exaggerating here. I'm saying like no one in the world was better than her, all right? That was funnier than you gave it credit for. Um, I mean, her love language was gifts. And I didn't really know that until a little later in life. Like, as a child, I just benefited from her love language without the ability to give her any great gift. Like, she would give me the most amazing Christmas gift ever. And I would take like $2.50 to like the secret Santa shop at school. And I would get her like a mug that didn't really have anything to do with Christmas. And I'd be like, hey, and she would make me think it was the greatest thing ever. She gave me the $2.50 to buy it for her. But she made me think it was unbelievable because her gift, her love language was gifts. When she passed away or after she passed away, we were kind of going back through her house and there were like entire dressers full of drawers with gifts in them like bath and body works and candles and note cards and like those, like monogram, like generically monogram, like just with the letter K or C or J, like tissue, like packs of tissues. And uh, I mean, like anything that you can think of because if it was cheap and could be bought in bulk, she would just buy as many as she could because you never knew when you were gonna need to take a gift with you wherever you were going. And she was always prepared. We would be leaving her house to like go somewhere And she would tell Corey, hey, run up to the guest room, and in the bottom drawer, there is whatever. We'll grab that. We'll give that to the lady when we get there. We would go to these church conferences. Her and my dad were in ministry. My dad still is. They were in ministry. And we would go to these church conferences, and the Lord had blessed them financially. And so she would take $100, and she would go, and she would find, like, a young pastor's wife who didn't have enough money to buy a new outfit for that conference and she would mail it to her and say, hey, buy something nice so that you have something to wear when we get there. She was amazing. Like, I benefited from that all of my life. She always gave great gifts. Like, I remember being asked, like, what's the greatest Christmas present you ever got? All of them. Like, I don't know. They were awesome. I'm terrible at gifts. Like, I don't, it skipped a generation or something. I'm not really Sure. Man, she just was amazing at that. And all of my life, she would give me gifts and I remember some of them. I don't remember all of them, but I just remember that she loved to give. She was generous. I was working at a church when I was in college as a youth pastor and I was literally starving to death. I was making no money and I didn't have the ability because of the schedule at the church to work like a second job and I remember my mom and dad came to visit the church one Sunday And I didn't know this at the time because they asked for it to be a secret, but they wrote a check to the church for the youth pastor's salary supplement and gave it to the pastor and said, don't tell him, just give him a raise. And so the pastor was like, hey, we're going to give you a raise. You're doing a great job. I'm like, sweet. It was just my mom and dad continuing to provide for me behind the curtain that I never knew until I was older, right? And I was just bragging to my pastor one day, and mom was like, Yeah, I mean, I wrote that check. I was like, Oh my gosh. That's like the Matrix. How did I miss that? Right? That's who my mom was. That's who my dad is. He's very generous. I, this is an amazing thing. But when I was a teenager, my mom gave me a book. I've referenced it from this stage before, and I lost that book because I'm terrible. And so she gave it to me again when I was a little bit older, and it was a book that she had read to me as a child. It was a book called I Love You Forever. You may be familiar with the book. Like I said, I've referenced it from here. It's a famous book. A lot of people know it, but it's the story of a mom who rocks her child, rocks her son back and forth, back and forth, and she says to him, I love you forever, I like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And he grows and he grows and the mom eventually gets older and later in life, he kind of gets to pay her back and he's taking care of her and he says, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mama, you'll be. Something crazy happened this morning. I was, my notes were already done, the PowerPoint's already done. I knew what we were preaching and this amazing thing happened. I woke my daughter up to get ready to come to church this morning and she never even opened her eyes she just said, Rock me, Daddy. I said, What? She said, Rocking chair, rock me. Never opened her eyes. So I picked her up. I walked her to the chair. And I'm sentimental, right? I said that. And I knew that I would stand in front of you in just a few hours. And so I said to her, I love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. And in that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit said to me, the gift that your mother gave you wasn't just for you. It was for Kinley too. There was a a message that she wanted to convey to me. And so she gave me a book. She gave me a child's book while I'm an adult. But she wanted me to know she would love me forever and like me for always. Long as she was living. And even now that she's gone. I'm her baby. And I get to say those words to my daughter. And you know why I know them? Because she gave those words to me. My mom gave me a vocabulary to express love to my kids. And here's what I would say to you today today. Who have you helped form a vocabulary to express their love to God? Who have you invited to the table of the Lord? Who have you helped to set the table for so that when they show up, they're able to engage the love and the presence and the power of a God who loves them the same way that he loves you? What if the invitation to the table that we've been talking about for the last four weeks isn't just about you? What if it's about them too? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you're the giver of all good gifts. I thank you, God, that you gave because you loved. You gave your one and only son I thank you, God, that Jesus came to earth and he lived and he sat with his disciples and he says, hey, this is my body and he gave it to them. He said, this is my blood and he gave it to them. Just a few hours later, he hung on a cross giving up his life for us. And so today, God, I pray that every one of us in this place would realize what's been given to us how much has been given for us, but that, God, we would reshape our hearts away from self-centeredness and turn our hearts to others to realize that we can't stay at the table forever, that it's not about just gathering as the church, it's about the sending out of the people of God out of the church for the sake of others, that we can't stay at the mountaintop. It's not just about the experiences that we have and the powerful moments in the presence of God, but that we have to go down the mountain and that we can't just stay in Jerusalem forever. We just receive from God what we need before we go out from that place. God, let the experiences we've had compel us to reach others. And if we've never experienced you, God, help us to seek that Help us to desire that, and God, let us to find that. Let us be a church that's about more than just gathering, but that's also about scattering, leaving the four walls of the building to go and find more because there's always room for more at the table of the Lord. Help us, God, to have a heart that beats like your heart, that resonates with your love for people, and the desires to see more people come to know the saving grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Let us be that kind of place, both in the remainder of our time at Sequoia and in the full extent of our time in our future home. God, you have blessed us in immeasurable ways. Let us respond to you in ways that matter for the sake of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.